Welcome to the Mini Break, your date podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, July 10th. We have a doozy of a show for all of you listeners today as we are planning to play catch up on everything that's unfolded thus far at the 2023 Wimbledon. We want to run you through all eight of our quarterfinal matches. Talk about how each of these players got to this round. Make the case for why each of them could progress to the semifinals and then of course offer our predictions for how we see these next two days of play unfolding. Of course, we'll also sneak in our thoughts on some of the biggest storylines that may have emerged throughout the rest of the tournament as well. Who has capitalized the most on this year's third major? Who is kicking themselves given that they are no longer alive still in the event? Those are the topics we plan on tackling here on today's show. And because we have such a jam-packed podcast, I'm ready to get this introduction done in under a minute and bring in our guest because it is always a thrill, a pleasure, a joy to to have this man joining us on the podcast. Of course, you all know him best as essentially a co-host of the Mini Break Podcast. Hopefully, you've been reading all of he and the Tennis.com team's work throughout the course of this duration of Wimbledon. We know him as our dear friend, David Kane. David, welcome back to the show. I feel like I didn't get enough of you in the Wimbledon preview. I didn't get any of you during week number one. So now that I have you, I have to ask, how are you doing, my friend? And how are you feeling about this Wimbledon? Yeah, I seem to recall being bumped off the schedule for the, the preview <laughs> content. I, I thought I was all lined up. I, I I may have even canceled a plan or two to be ready for uh. a preview episode that never aired due to your unfortunate Wi-Fi situation. But as I'm feeling right now, like the back of the baseline on center court, I'm feeling a little worn out. But like the service box, <laughs> I'm feeling green with envy not to be there, but covering it from home and feeling a little exhausted. But uh, looking forward to a, uh, a really interesting final stretch. That's a very apt analogy. You're the baseline right now. A little worn down in the center, but, you know, again, there's still enough there on the corners for us to get our work in. And yeah, it happens all at once too. the the ripping up of the baseline. Like we we had like a bit of a time with the the rain delays. It felt like, oh, we're still getting like the fresh green, uh, green, uh, green grass. And then by Thursday, it was like... We're, we're we're going to the mat. I know. It happened fast. I agree. It's because they played 60 matches like back to back to back days. And you could just tell, again, even with the curfews. And yeah, we'll talk curfew, the thoughts on all of that. Obviously, that was one of the big storylines. Given all of the rain, we'll talk about the lack of deployment of the roof. Get into those off-court storylines. But I just got to ask you right away. As we look at this set of quarterfinal matches, and I'll list them all to you now. Sviantek Svitolina. Pagula Vondrosova, Jabur Rabakina, Keys Sabalenka on the women's side. For the men, you've got Alcaraz Runa, which I know DK is like, you can just stop right there. We're good. But Medvedev Eubanks, Sinner Safilin, Djokovic Rublev. I'm in. Like, I, I think back to the majors we've seen this year, and certainly in Australia, given the fact that we didn't have Carlos Alcaraz on the men's side, we were still a little young in the Sabalenka Rabakana clear cut ascension into, dare I say, top three status. And as Jessica Pagula called them a big three, I'm going to feel comfortable calling them a big three here as well. You know, you transition to the French. Rabakina forced to withdraw due to the uh, virus she picked up along the way. And yes, we did get Djokovic Alcaraz, but, you know, Sinner was a little banged up. Medvedev loses first round. This major has all the big dogs. This major has all the matchups you're hoping for. And just superficially, 
five of the top eight seeds still alive in both draw. The top three seeds still alive in both draws. I think that makes the case pretty clear. This is our most compelling final stretch of a major we've had this season. And maybe, dare I say, in like a five-year stretch, DK, is it not? And like Chris Eubank said in his ultimate tennis showdown chat with Francis Tiafo and Ben Shelton, it's Wimbledon, you know, the, <laughs> the bad movie, Wimbledon. Like everyone knows Wimbledon. And so I think there is something to be said about the extra emphasis being placed on this tournament. I still think we are making up for lost time. I, I spent the weekend reading uh, Red, White and Royal Blue uh, in, in honor of the uh, movie adaptation coming to you on, on Prime Video. And in between the... Uh, the, the numerous not safe for work scenes that happened in that book, there was a minor jump scare that I received in terms of the uh, 2020 Wimbledon that never ended up happening because the book was published pre-COVID, all of which to say, I feel like we're making up for lost time. And like maybe it took an extra year for everyone to get their sea legs on grass in this post-COVID era. This is now notoriously the surface on which people spend the least amount of time. And I think we're finally getting the top players in a space where they're both comfortable with themselves, comfortable with their games, and now being able to channel that to grass court tennis. And so with that in mind, we're getting the top players playing their best at the most important tournament for many people uh, of the season. That's perfectly put. I couldn't agree more. It just feels like you have that that nexus of, you're right, players like Alcaraz and Aruna and Sviantek and Sabalenka, Rabakina, they're here to stay. It's just enough fluff like, oh, they're these rising stars. No, 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 no. No more rising. They are stars. And it, to have the consistency in particular, honestly, what Holger Runa has done this season, people don't talk about it enough, DK. They do talk about it enough, but not enough in the context of this kid is 20 years old. His run to the Paris title, uh, Paris Masters title last year, well, not unexpected 30,000-foot view. It just came so fast. And to see him consolidate a spot, not just in the top 25, but in the top 10 and to go major after major after major second week. It's just real. Like Again, Sabalenka's struggling in a third-round match, and I think you and I are of the camp of, well, we saw her beat Kanepi at the U.S. Open, and after she did that, you just never write her off again. And for her to, as a top seed does, escape from that match and get through, you always have to have the one where you're not playing well, but you escape as a top player in the world, and she gets that moment. You know, even beyond that, Vondrosova, who's dealt with so many injuries, but a 2019 French Open finalist, she's back in the mix here. We all know when Madison Keys is hot, she can beat anyone. Semi-finalist in Australia last year. We're not that far removed from seeing her play this level. The only player who I feel like is missing is Ashley Barty. It just feels like she's the only name where I'd be like, okay, if she was here, then we'd have everyone from this past era. But like... Even in her, I just feel like she's the one player missing. And then it would be the cast of superstars. It's, you want to see the best of the best of the last three years? Here they are. Like, all the big, relevant names. I guess no Nadal as well should be mentioned. It's kind of like Nadal, Federer. Like, hey, we're going to go out on the town, Novak. Will you watch the kids while we're awake? Uh, while we're away? Because that's where we are now. But I'm just... It, you, you said it perfectly, to come full circle. Everyone's comfortable in their skin. And that comfort level now... Uh, it uh, it persists across surfaces. It, it's just, it doesn't matter who or what we're playing on. Alcaraz is Alcaraz. Runa is Runa. Sviantek is Sviantek. Rabakina is Rabakina. And Medvedev I don't know... Is Medvedev. That, yeah, exactly. And I guess 
do you feel more confident saying that than you did before? Like, is that a fair case? I don't know. It's funny. I don't know if I felt that way even 48 hours ago watching yeah. Arena Sabalenka, for example, sort of white knuckle it against Anna Blinkova, but watching yes. her bagel at Katarina Alexandra today, I felt, wow, this is an, a, a uniquely comfortable situation, which I find myself where it, there isn't that same doubt, you know, that creeps into the mind, even against, um, between Iga Svantec and Belinda Bencic yesterday, that even though she was down the match points, you felt like Iga's going to yes. find a way to figure this one out. And yes. now she's, you know, has a winning record from a set down in Grand Slam matches. I mean, so I think everyone's really, really coming to their own. And I, it's really impressive to watch. Yeah, and that's what's going to make, again, this home stretch of Wimbledon so enjoyable. We've got six days left, obviously. Now that Bloomfield Hills, the real slam on the calendar, as DK referred to it before we started the show. <laughs> yeah, the real slam is now over, so we can lock in on Wimbledon the rest of the week here. We will have coverage each and every day recapping the action. And while we won't be match entirely match recap centric on this show. This is the podcast where, again, we're going to play catch up on everything we might have missed over the past few days. We're going to go through all eight of our men's and women's singles quarterfinal matchups. We'll talk about how each of the players got there, make the case for each player. DK and I are going to offer our predictions as well. Of course, before we do, a shout out as always to our dear friends at Tennis Point for providing the best equipment at the lowest prices. And I'll tell you what, DK, I am making my return to competitive tennis this week as well. I got invited to play this invitational of kids plus or minus two years from me in high school who are all, you know, it's it's an adult tournament. And I'm not saying that odds makers are making my partner and I one of the favorites, but we got a shot is what I'm saying. And I needed to upgrade date my shoes. What did I do? I immediately went to tennis-point.com. And because I'm home, I went to my local store and just thought, hey, can they beat the price? They could not. And so shout out, as always, to our friends at Tennis Dash Point. Sending me my new Nikes in the mail as we speak. I look forward to wearing them, to rocking them. You can find whatever you need as well by going to TennisDashPoint.com today. Use our promo code CR15 to let them know we sent you there. TennisDashPoint.com. The promo code is CR15. All right. Let's get into our Wimbledon quarterfinals, and we'll keep it simple. We're going to start ladies first, as always. I was taught chivalry, respect here in the Gruskin household. We'll go top to bottom of the women's singles draw. We'll then transition over to the men's side as well. Let's get right into it, DK. Top of the draw, Iga Svantec taking on Alina Svitolina. Look, Svitolina would be the most compelling storyline in this matchup. In 30,000-foot view, she probably is, but you mentioned it. Yesterday, Iga Svantec, two match points down. She comes back, 6-7, 7-6, 6-3. She knocks out a very much informed Belinda Bencic. And David and I have had a lot of debates over the years about Belinda Bencic. We're going to put that to the side today. Maybe we'll have a little conversation about it after the tournament. Did we? Because it feels like one of us was proven right about Belinda Bencic this week. But I won't say which one of us. Maybe the one that doesn't want to talk about it. Were you proven right? Like... She was right there. Came as close to beating Svantec as we've seen just about anyone do at a major when Iga's locked in. And I mean, again, we saw Rabakina beat her. That's a different story. We can get there. But Ben, she, she had two match points. She was at the finish line. She stole that first set as well. It's not about Belinda Bencic. It's about Iga Svantec. Reign it in, Alex. And you look for Iga. Straight set wins over Julin, Ceres Tormo, Petra Martic. Then the three set win. Two match points down over Bencic to reach this quarterfinal, taking on Alina Svitolina. Let's start on the Iga side of things first. 
What's impressed you the most? How are you feeling about her game entering this quarterfinal stage? I mean, I think we can look almost exclusively to the fourth round match against Benchich because I think coming into the second week, Iga wasn't especially challenged. I mean, it yes. could have been perhaps a little bit more competitive against Mardich in the, th- in the third round, but still figures that out in straight sets. But heading into it, it didn't feel like there wasn't there was any big threat to Svantec, which is funny because I think a lot of people were thinking that Svantec on grass coming off on Garros, is she going to take another early round exit the way she did last year to Alice Cornet? There was not really a Cornet-style floater in her section of the draw this year, but Benchich really showed up and pushed her to the very brink and forced Iga to play her best tennis on those match points. It's not just that she saved the match points, it's how she saved them, uh, which is really impressive. Obviously, Benchich got tentative (laughs) in those moments, but Iga still stepped up and hit the ball. And I think sort of definitively swiped away, for me anyway, the idea that she is somehow less impactful or less effective on grass in a meaningful way. You know, obviously the gra- the clay courts will always emphasize and magnify her strengths, but I don't think grass courts, especially in the second week when, you know, as, as Nadal has often said, they begin to play more like clay courts. I don't think that these grass courts are going to de-emphasize uh, the Sriantec game. And I think people will really start to look at her as a threat on the surface and at this tournament going forward. So I think for her, there are very few milestones left for her. I think this was a big one that she was able to tick off in under five matches. So that's pretty impressive. Couldn't agree with you more. The only relevant part of the first week is that you have to be really good and have a weapon to beat Iga Sviantek on this surface now, which by the way is the same case on every surface, but we weren't sure about that coming into a year where, again, she'd still played fewer than 20 grass court professional matches in her career. Marchich didn't have a weapon. Saripas Tormo didn't have a weapon. Julin didn't have a weapon. Iga dusted them, and it wasn't particularly close in any of the relevant stages of the matches. Benchich had some weaponry. Benchich could keep the ball low. Benchich could get that ball, particularly first serve, into the body of Iga Sviantek. But you're absolutely right. Did Benchich play a little tentative on the match points? I'll concede that. But Iga had her going corner to corner. And to your point, Iga was swinging freely in that moment. And once she went up a break in the third, it was just pack the bag, start the planes. This match is over. And that's what Iga does. That's why she's number one in the world. And I don't think you or I, actually, I'm not going to speak for you. I never had a doubt. I knew the Wimbledon level was going to come. It's her physicality is Djokovician. It just translates across surfaces. It's a matter of her getting comfortable on said surface. It was when, not if. To your point, the when is this year. She's through the quarterfinals where now she's going to take on someone who you could argue is the best story right now in all of tennis in 28-year-old Alina Svitolina. And look, okay, I have to do this tangent quickly. To all of our Jewish listeners out there, first of all, you know I am Jewish as well. And I sent this to you earlier, DK. This is how we crowdsource it. I read Svitolina's Jewish. That's a first I've heard that. And I like to think I got good sources in our community. If you have heard the same, don't send me the Jerusalem Post article because that's what I'm going off of. I need better confirmation here because, look, we'll turn this into a Svitolina podcast if we have to, if she's a member of the tribe. But if she is, in fact, hashtag Mishpucha. Yeah. (laughs) This is how I know you're from Long Island. I love you, too. Uh, And you are my Mishpucha, for the record, DK. Honorary, you're one of us. Um, Not a lot of Canes in Judaism, but we'll have a lot of Davids. So we'll have you. Svitolina, straight sets over Venus, three sets over Mertens, straight sets over Kennan, 7-6 in the third over Vika yesterday. Back-to-back quarterfinals 
for her at back-to-back slams, Roland Garros Wimbledon. This is given the fact that, you know, you still look for Svitolina here this season, 16-8 and overall. She's played 24 total matches. She restarted her season at the ITF level back in April to go from losing... A couple of, you know, she lost second round at a 60K, first round at 100K, first round Sasnovich in Madrid. She now goes title in uh, Strasbourg, quarterfinals Roland Garros, forget Birmingham, quarterfinals now Wimbledon. Not only did she just have a kid, but everything going on with her, her involvement in actively seeking support for Ukraine in their ongoing conflict with Russia, I just... Through all of that, I'm not saying I don't care about that, but what's even more impressive to me, DK, I swear to God she's better at tennis. Like, it's just like she is just hitting the ball bigger than she used to. And it's incredible. I mean, you're a scholar of Svitolina. You know the game better than I do. Talk to me. What have you seen? What's going on here? I think it's interesting to refer to Svidlina as one of the best stories of the tournament because I think looking back on this comeback, that's sort of what I thought it was all that it was going to be was a story. And what an inspirational story that Alina Svidlina comes back from having a baby and is raising awareness about the state of the situation in Ukraine and how inspiring and she's in it for the love of the game and she's not winning that many matches, but who cares? It's just so great to have her back. And I mean, we're at this point, we're on the precipice of going from story to legend because I just did not in a million years expect Svitolina to come back better than ever. And I mean, I think all you need to know about Svitolina before and Svitolina now is that she was 0-5 against Victoria Azarenka before the comeback and now is able to not only outplay Azarenka in the fourth round of a Grand Slam, but outgut her. I mean, this is not a match that Alina Svitolina wins at a slam against really anybody before coming back from maternity leave. The fact that she was able to throw in an ace on match point at 10-9 in the third set tiebreaker, I mean, it's just, it is it is inspiring. And now it is really inspiring. It's not inspiring in a condescending way. It's like actually genuinely inspiring that she came back, refreshed, reset. She had the baby like, what, 15 minutes ago and looks like she's in better shape now than before. I mean, it's a total full circle moment for Svitolina, who I remember losing that 2021 U.S. Open quarterfinal that I bring up all the time to Layla Fernandez and how Svitolina makes this sort of half-hearted, nervy attempt to rush the net in the third set tiebreaker and Layla easily passes her. And you, and you just thought, wow, this is never going to happen. For you. you were never going to make that final leap from Grand Slam contender to Grand Slam champion. And now... I can kind of see it. I mean, granted, she's got maybe the worst possible draw in Iga Svantec next, but I mean, if she could be aggressive and really clock the ball the way I've seen her do a couple of times at this tournament already, I mean, she's not she's not here for lols and she's not just here for a good time. I think she is someone who genuinely believes she can go out there and win these tournaments. And, you know, I'm really excited, if nothing else, to see her over the course of the hardcore summer because I think that's where she could do a lot of damage. So it's been Really great. And to see her have that full circle moment against Azarenka, just tremendous to see. Back up to number 39 in the live rankings, 24 matches. She did it in two and a half months. Ridiculous. Back-to-back slam quarterfinals on clay and grass courts. And to your point, it's like historically, actually, she's been her best surface hard courts. And so, yeah, it's nuts. Now, look, 
There's a little Spider-Man meme. I think when if Lena Svitolina looks at Iga Svantec, she sees like, hey, that was me once upon a time, this physical wonder who could just kind of do a little bit of everything on the court. And when Svitolina looks, or when Svantec looks at Svitolina, it's like if an Apple could look at a 2000s Windows like computer sort of thing and be like, oh, that's cute. Like process things a little faster now here on this version. And that's the thing is I look at Svitolina and it's like everything you can do, Iga just does better. I would say Iga in straights, and that's not to diminish the level Svitolina's playing. I'm just that confident about Iga. What says you? Well, and I don't know. Iga's I just don't know been, the pathway for Svitolina. Well, and Iga has long been a superior competitor and mentally tougher athlete. Sure. I think that would be the huge difference. As good as Svitolina was playing, if she had not gotten this win over Azarenka, and granted, we don't know what the physical, emotional, mental toll of getting a win like this will be against Iga. You hope that she doesn't have, um, against Vika, rather. I would hope that there's not a total letdown. Um, I mean, granted, I guess you could say something similar about Iga, but she's certainly much more experienced over the course of the last 18 months versus uh, Svitolina, who has talked about sort of making up for lost time and being frustrated when the combat or that things were not happening fast enough, which is sort of wild to think in retrospect, because, you know, clearly the payoff has been um, super worth the wait to the extent that there was a wait. Um, I mean, it's really tough to say because I think Iga is still probably the better athlete, the better competitor. I would still give her the the up, but, you know, Svitolina is riding a lot of confidence, a lot of momentum and We'll have to see. It's I. It's it's as close to a toss up. It's much closer to a toss up than I ever thought. You know, if you'd asked me this a week ago, I would say Ego wins easily. Now it's maybe a little bit of a bit more of a toss up, but I still think Ego wins. Uh, in the end, I won't say how it ends. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I just it's the serve. I just don't think as as. As great as Svitolina has been returning, I just don't think she has the serve to disrupt the rhythm of Iga enough. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be a very physical match. It's going to be a very fun match and. Yeah, I mean, lock in on all of it. We're going to enjoy. All right. I'm just anticipating this now for our listeners. I know at the beginning they're like, you said that you were going to go through all eight quarterfinal matches. Just given that one took 10 minutes, DK, this might end up a two-parter, listeners, and we might have to break down the four quarterfinals in two separate episodes. Anyways, let's move on to our next quarterfinal. You like how I sneak I, I was in? told all eight matches, five minutes each, eight times five. I thought maybe the the, the X was probably a an exponential sign, eight to the power <laughs> of five. Maybe maybe that's more accurate in terms of our time, but we're going to see. The night is young. All right, no. The sun is still yeah. out. Then do you want to trust me? Can I... Can I Military hand here, move us faster. Let's let's go. All right, well, military hand, move us faster. Let's move on to the next one. Although that one was so compelling, but so is this next one in Pagula Vondrosova. And look, I have been, I created the Marquetta bandwagon. You know that, DK. This is another player who's always on my team. Who, whenever we're talking dark horses, I feel like it's my perennial obligation to make the Vondrosova case. And I mean, look. Credit to Von Drus. I mean, it, it's tough to figure out which side to start on here. You look for Pagula. She's got three-set win over Lauren Davis. Hasn't dropped a set win since. Wins over Buxa, Cochiaretto, Serenko. Now, that is pretty much a cupcake sort of draw for Jessica Pagula. I don't think there's any denying that. That said, you can only face the player who shows up across the net from you. And once again, Jessica Pagula, when given the opportunity to beat someone she's better than, she beats the player. That she's better than. She's into another quarterfinal. She's completed the full circle quarterfinals at all four majors. The, If it's not the Golden Slam, it's the Quarter Slam, we'll call it, I suppose, that accomplishment. Remarkably impressive for someone who had won three total main draw matches at the majors prior to the start of 2021. 
She's the four seed. You look for Vondrosova. Straight set wins. Far more impressive. Stearns, Kudermatova, Vekic. Three sets over Bozhkova. She's back. I don't know how else to say it. You look for Vondrosova all the way back up to number 27 in the live ranking. She's 36-12 and 12 over her last 52 weeks. 28-10 and 10 this year. And David, I'm just going to rip through these names quickly. Listen to these last 10 losses. Sakari, Kaskina, Rabakina, Lynette, Kirstea in Miami. So that's a top five player. Mukova, Pliskova, Potapova. There's just not a bad loss on the Vondrosova resume. I love this matchup. Who's more appealing to you as a story and why? So I love your idea of speeding it up being to list all 10 people well, that she lost well, that, to. <laughs> that's my way of getting through like, look, here's where they both are. This is how they got here. I talked really fast. Now we can talk about the match. I mean, for Pagula, it's sort of six and, you know, half a dozen of one, six of the other, because you would have expected her to have this quarterfinal, quarterfinal run in Paris, but take the, took the early loss to Mertens and kind of where, she, where I would have expected her to make the quarters in Paris. She makes the quarters here sort of, you know, all comes out in the wash. She could not have asked for a better draw. If she had not made the quarters out of this draw, I would say she will never make the quarterfinals in Wimbledon because this was just, it would not have been meant to be if that was the case. Um, and obviously gets, you know, a tired but inspired Lesia Tsarenko who won the the tiebreak of the tournament 2018 over Anna Bogdan. I mean, for me, this, this quarter was all about Donna Vekic, who I fully thought was going to make the semifinals out of this. It did not happen because I, I, I'm in, I'm inclined to blame the rain a little bit because of the way it impacted the schedule. She had to play Sloane Stevens, had a really emotional win, and then had to come back the very next day to play Vondrosova. Still had our chances against Marquetta in the in the second set. Didn't get it done. I thought maybe this was then an opportunity for Buskova. Buskova goes up a set on Vondrusova. Vondrusova has really been, I don't want to say cockroaching, but it just feels like, you know, taking advantage of... Um, the opportunity here and coming out uh, on the other side where I would have expected perhaps Becca at your books. She probably would have been my third choice uh, out of this third round section with, with Caroline Garcia, perhaps a distant fourth. I didn't really have much confidence that she was going to make it out of this uh, particular quarter. But with all that said, Bondrus was very tricky, very unique opponent, very unique opponent, not an easy out. Clearly that is the case. And I would give her a bit of an edge over Pagula because I still think that Pagula, while she is the higher ranked player and perhaps in form, is still not as comfortable on grass as I think even a Marquette of Andrusova, who we know to be a player, but has the sort of that can make her dangerous on grass. I just love the weapons, how different it is. Vondrusova makes you move in just ways you're not comfortable on this surface. Slice serve wide on the ad side. The lefty pulls you so far off the court. She just then can do anything. Open forehand plus one to the open space. Short angle forehand rep behind you. I think she has the best drop shot lob combination in all of tennis, men's or women's side, period. And she just... She's a throwback. Yeah, it's... Yes, she's the contrast. She's the outlier, which you just need in tennis. Like, obviously... Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club. We invented it. Working titles still, as always, here at Cracked Rackets. We respect and acknowledge the significance and advantage of weaponry that the power tennis players have. But Von Drusva just is death by a thousand paper cuts. She's going to throw in the short angle. She's going to change direction down the line. She's going to say, you know what? I'm going 20 feet elevated above the net. Good luck generating your own pace. Now, here's the thing. You give Jessica Pagula time. She just doesn't beat herself. She's so ruthless, efficient in finding those lines, in moving forward, and, you know, the linear nature of her ground strokes, of her game. In theory, it fits better on this surface, I think, than a Vondrosova, at least aesthetically, traditionally. And yet, I think I'm leaning Drews, just because she can do more things to hurt Pagula on this surface than vice versa. Now, I think it's a three-setter. And, by the way, I think if Pagula loses this match, it's not 
an upset in the way many will frame it. Unseeded no. player beating top four. No, yeah, we know better here at Cracked Rackets. DK, final word on this match. That's right, it's going to be a six-minuter, but final word on this match goes to you. Just that I would say that if you ever woke me up in the middle of the night to say that Marquette Abuntrusova was a Grand Slam semifinalist anywhere, I would say, yeah, that sounds about right. So like the fact that she may or may not or seems very much on course to make another uh, deep run at a slam, even without the tremendous resume, I think we just all know what she's capable of, the potential when she's healthy, similar to Amukova, that you just know that when everything is clicking, they are exceedingly dangerous. And she's proven that to be the case over the last four matches. 100%. And and again, on the flip side, it's not to disrespect what Pagula's done. Ridiculous, the amount of success she's had since 2021. You just don't see players peak like this after not showing many flashes of it before the age of 27 and do what she has done. But credit to the persistence. All right, we're both taking the Druze to advance. Let's move on to our 2022 Wimbledon final rematch, a quarterfinal matchup here this season. Of course, it's Elena Rabakina taking on Anjabur, three versus six seed. You always love the symmetry of that math. You look for Rabakina wins over Shelby Rogers, Alize Cornet, Katie Bolter, and then, of course, unfortunately, Haddad Maya forced to retire today due to injury, but Rabakina had the 4-1 lead. She started out shaky. She's been a rock on serve ever since. The weapons, the, the game style, it is the most traditional. Yeah, this will work at Wimbledon moving forward in her career of maybe any of the pieces on the board. But to quote DK, I'm sorry, this might have been an off-the-record quote from you uh, prior to the start of this show. You beat David Kane's title favorite, six love in a set. You have our attention. And Owens Jabur did exactly that. Two Petra Kvitova in the round of 16, six love, six three. I think you made your Kvitova prediction public. So that's not exactly an off the record thing. I, I did. I was pretty yeah. loud and proud about Petra Kvitova <laughs> yeah. making her. Her yeah. title run, it was it was going to happen, and then it super didn't. But yeah, whatever. so I don't so I don't feel bad about including that. But of course, Jabur most notably three sets over and rescue the round prior. Look, I think Rabakina's success on this surface makes sense, and we have done a lot of Rabakina talk, you and I, over the years. I would point out the only stat I have for Rabakina. You know the she has reached the final in all but two of uh, or all but two of her losses this season. Excuse me, have come in finals. It's like. You either beat her first round or she's getting to the final and maybe you have a shot. And to that end, I say, you know, Tennis Abstract right now has Rabakina 55.6% favorite. I think that's way too low. I don't know what the pathway is for Jabur. I'm curious if you see one, how you feel about this match, because I feel pretty confident it's Rabakina all the way. No, not only was I confident in Petra a bit of a pre-draw, but when it took Angebor three sets to beat Bianca Andreescu in the third round, I thought, oh, this is really Petra's moment to shine and not lose six love, six three. And what what do I know? <laughs> what are you listening to me for? Turn off the podcast now. No, like, no, 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 no. I'm cutting that. That's all put quack. You're going to make it seem like I had some awful thing to say. But um, <laughs> I mean... <sighs> For, for, I mean, look, for Jabor, it's fantastic. You know, she made the final last year and didn't get any points. And now she's in the quarterfinals. You know, it's it's a really unique situation for the players who performed well last year and had nothing ostensibly to show for besides, you know, just momentum and and dreams and starlight. So the fact that they were able to actually gather some points um, this year is, is really good news for them. Rabakina sort of had like 
it seems like sort of the inverted run of Anika Shkantek, where her first two opponents were probably a lot tougher than Iga's, and now things have really tailed off for her in terms of difficulty, just really had her way with Katie Balter. I certainly think the British press were assuming that that match was going to be one to watch, and it was just never in doubt for Rebecca to just hit her off the court and was on course to do much the same against Haddad Maya before Haddad Maya retired. Based on that trajectory and that momentum, the fact that Rabakina hasn't really looked off kilter since the first set of that match against uh, Shelby Rogers. And even then, you would chalk it up to just one break of serve in that in that set, and Shelby was able to take it. So you would think that Rabakina will be in much the same stead against Shabor in the quarters, just only because it didn't feel like that, you know, obviously give it up a result aside, she was not looking the best in the third round and didn't really have tremendous opposition in her first two rounds. So you just wonder how that translates against someone who can hit the ball that hard. You know, it's it's sort of similar to when Jabor made her first um, Wimbledon quarterfinal against Sabalenka, lost in 2022 to Rybakina. You know, these are the kinds of players, including Rybakina, who beats Jabor on grass. And so that that lends itself to a, another Rybakina semifinal. Um, and with that said, I'm I'm looking forward to that match because it's it's that contrast in styles that we like so much. And so I think it's going to be a really interesting one. And I'm looking forward to see how it, how it all shakes out. My whole problem with this matchup problem is the wrong word. I love it. The contrast. The problem is Rabakina hits too big for Jabur to do her things. It's just the pace of that ball to try and hit a slice off of it when it's that low and coming at you that fast or to try and chip that 120 mile serve coming at you. It's just a bad match. <laughs> David made a face at me. I'm not going to repeat it for all of you listeners, but it's just not a good matchup for Anshabur. Um, and so uh, that's I personally never had a problem with someone who hits the ball too hard. That's just not a problem that I have. To me, that's tennis. But yeah. I've been, well, I've been told it's baseball, so I don't yeah. know. Ons <laughs> is really good. And quietly, very quietly, has just, you know, quarterfinals Roland Garros, quarterfinals Wimbledon with all those points to defend. Wimbledon, I guess no Wimbledon final points to defend, but the hypothetical of that plus the U.S. Open final points to defend, considering... And she had all those clay points to defend and did not. But now she gets the Wimbledon quarterfinal to help make up for it. This was as clutch as could be for Anjabur, who was legitimately in jeopardy of falling outside of the top 10 and now will hold her spot at number six, but perhaps most importantly for her, 12th in the points race. By the way, Arena Sabalenka qualified this week for the WTA finals. First player to do so according to the live rankings. Fascinating. Fascinating. Very unofficial. I would I would wait for Kevin Fisher at the WTA to confirm that. I'm sure they're very angry that someone's been um unofficially confirmed by that WTA live rankings website which they are always adamant is not as accurate as you think it is, but it's not let me down yet. So yeah, it's um, never exactly. It's I don't think it's yeah, it's the problem with interpretation sometimes. When people, you know, see someone who's tentatively in the top 10 before a slam is over, that's when you can be you know, in some rough waters, but I don't think they're ever, they've really been that wrong, wrong. I've heard some stories, but I've never personally encountered them. Quick tangent, favorite Beatles song? Oh God, uh, Yesterday. Interesting choice. You can learn a lot <laughs> about a person's favorite Beatles song. Mine, Don't Let Me Down, which is why I bring this up because it's never let me down. Um, has the WTA Live Rankings website. Um, that's, I promise there was a full circle reason I asked that question, DK. Um Oh, yeah. One thing I will add, though, about on yeah. board, just talk about like stories of the season, stories of the tournament, you know, in the, lo- in, in the points race is why I brought that up, by the way. She's yes. 12. Yeah. Yes. But I, what I will say is there's been a lot of like breakpoint discourse, you yeah. know, and we also had a, a conversation in our group chat about who is or is not a star. Mm-hmm. And I may have argued against on being a star. And I will say 
I stand corrected. She is a star, maybe, maybe a ham as well, but I personally enjoy that. But the way she has been my number one takeaway slash revelation from the Breakpoint series, she is someone who just turns on for the cameras, you know, is able to make a joke. Like, you know, there's, there's been, there's, I know there's like a comedy bit where it's like, you know, when you put the camera on someone on Christmas day and they're like, Hey, Merry Christmas. Like Anjibor is one of the few people who actually has that energy in the Breakpoint series. I feel like a lot of times the cameras are on players and they're trying to ignore the camera, pretend it's not there. And there are just so many fun moments where you get to see the Anjibor personality. So I think if you're talking about the winners and losers of those who participated in the Breakpoint series, maybe a winner. And I hope that she participates next season and, is, is somehow able to channel all of this charisma and enthusiasm into something else. Because as fun as she is to watch on court, I'm becoming much more of a fan of her even off the court, because I just think she's someone who has that judge and has that pizzazz that tennis is sometimes missing or not able to, uh, not able to accurately capture. Can I say something and don't get mad at me? That is quite the pivot from you. I like, my jaw is dropped. <laughs> I agree with everything you said. I just didn't expect it. Um, yeah, I still, I, I still like bump on perhaps the idea of like global superstar, a la sure. a Serena or Maria. I think there are you know in a systemic issues own. in place sure. that make that thing make that difficult. You know, resume being one of them, and other sure. things as well. But just from a inside tennis, someone who could potentially be a breakthrough star, I think she's someone who just has so much charisma and good for the Breakpoint crew for actually showing that because we didn't get. I don't think we got to learn about as many of the the core cast members, we certainly learned a lot about Shibor and just how chill she can be. And there's a scene at the end of episode seven when she comes back to Tunisia and they have the receiving for her in that bowl or wherever it was. I thought that's what I was going to get at the Bloomfield Hills Challenger coming home as this media figure. And I can sadly- The, report, the real Wimbledon. Yeah, I can sadly report I did not. All right. Keys, Rabakina in the books. You got a little extra tangent there as well. It's my fault for bringing up the Beatles. I should have known that's where we were going to go next because Global Superstars, obviously, Anjabur was the clear parallel there. I mentioned Sabalenka has qualified for the year-end finals. She's also qualified for the quarterfinals here at Wimbledon. And again, got a little dicey for her on her pathway to these quarterfinals, but you look for Sabalenka ultimately wins over Udvardi, Gracheva, uh, Blinkova, and Alexandrova. By the way, I have been beating the Gracheva drum all year, and you're like, oh, shut up, Alex. Oh, shut up, Alex. Well, she almost pulled off the big one. She didn't, so perhaps you can tell me to be quiet anyways, but Sabalenka, 4-0 over Alexandrova, and I was the first, you know, you and I both, ECAT was on our list of players who ends up in a semifinals. Neither of us would have been surprised. Just watch the grass court tennis she's played over the past two years. I think she's now 18-3 and overall over the last two years. And, like, again, I think the three losses are Kvitova, Ostapenko, and Sabalenka. Uh, fact check, that's not bad. Uh, she's taking on Madison Keys. Keys wins over Kartel, Golubic, Kostyuk, and then 6-2 in the third. Obviously, was down a set in 4-1. She overcomes Mira Andriva. We're doing an Andriva tangent at some point, DK. Even though you still haven't responded to my DM of is she eliminated from the GOAT discussion yet, which has just been lingering in our group chat. Uh, not our group chat, in our direct messages. Uh, for I'm mad. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay because you've responded to the others. Are you, are you, the key was when I asked if you wanted to do this show, you were like, yeah, of course. So I, don't really I, I distinctly remember walking into Whole Foods when I got that text, and I was like, I can't even like process this. Yeah. <laughs> I have to pick up a, La- a case of LaCroix. I-, I will get back to you later. 
Yeah, yeah. You got like the idea of you get the text and just going right to the wine section and be like, I'm not doing this right now. It's like too, too soon. Too soon. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. All right. I went over Kostyuk too, which we need to have a separate pod where we do the Andriva, where we do the Kostyuk, where we'll do our biggest questions heading into the hard court summer because both of those players with what they've done, they're a conversation for a different time. Again, we want to lock in on this Wimbledon. <laughs> I do. I'm just like imagining the face of you when you saw it and just like the eye roll I got. You must have given me where you're like, Alex, it's 4 p.m. on a Tuesday. What are you doing right now? That's exasperation. Yeah. <laughs> I would describe it. <laughs> Anyways, Madison Keys, lights out, big serve, big forehand. Shout out to the 95ers like us who are still alive out here. Um, power, this is uh, Madison Keys has had golfing privileges, weekend dinner privileges. Now, she can't have the full membership, but she's been allowed to hang out at Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club for a decade. Does she have a shot? In this one, she has that sort of power. She has the weapons where she serves well. At least we're getting to six all. I mean, when you're Madison Keys and you're playing a big, you know, an important match, like the sooner you can get her against that opponent, the better. You know, if this was a semifinal, I would say that no, I would say Arena would really have a clear path of that one just because historically Maddie has not performed that great when it really matters at a Grand Slam. And so... I wasn't surprised that she beat Andreeva just because for all of her, Andreeva's tremendous gifts and uh, court sense and aptitude, I thought she would inevitably lack the power to compete with Keys. She came really close to beating her anyway um, and was sort of an interesting contrast to the way that uh, Andreeva folded uh, in the second set. And Sabalenka spoke about, you know, getting up the early lead on Alexandrova in the second set and wanting to keep building and not wanting to get complacent. And I feel like that's sort of the contrast between youth and mm-hmm. maturity and experience. And I just loved Sabalenka being like, you know, when I was 16, I would just hit the ball and it was all flying out. You know, <laughs> like I can't can't relate to being this sort of like world weary teen phenom. And she is someone who's really thrived on wisdom, experience and maturity. Um and so I think, you know, obviously, they're very similar players, Keys and Sabalenka, just from a tactical standpoint, certainly from a te- technical standpoint. Keys, one of the very few women in tennis who can match um, Sabalenka's both speed of shot and weight of shot, which is a different look than Alexandrova. Alexandrova can match her speed, not necessarily the same when it comes to weight of shot. Just an important distinction when we're talking about the modern power tennis game. And so with that said, I think what ultimately should separate Sabalenka and Keys is just the consistency and perhaps even a little bit of variety. We were seeing some slices, some drop shots from, from Sabalenka against Alexandrova today. Wasn't just trying to out-hit Alexandrova, which was, I think, important and what helped Arena get over the finish line. I mean, this is it's one of those litmus test matches for Sabalenka. You know, how what is the result of all this growth? And it should be that she has a fairly easy time of beating, you know, a Madison Keys who has better than she has been, but is still not at her best, nor has she proven to be capable of achieving the heights of an arena Sabalenka, which is to say, be a Grand Slam champion, be in contention for world number one. So certainly Sabalenka should be a better version of Keys, but Keys is playing really well. She's on grass. She beat Sabalenka on grass the last time they played in 2021. That was, of course, pre-Sabalenka making Grand Slam semifinals plus. It should be Sabalenka, but if it ends up being Keys, it would not totally surprise me because, again, we are at a stage of the slam where Keys does tend to pull off these bigger wins when she does them. You nailed it. I have nothing to add. The only 
insight is the corners are the same. Shvantex, Fidelina, little Spider-Man Mimi. Keys, Sabalenka, little Spider-Man Mimi. I agree. Keys is great. The best version of Sabalenka is a better version of that. Did you call them memes? No. Maybe. You said, uh, maybe you meant meme? No, did I say memes? You said maybe memes. Twi- I, you said it I, twice. I, I, I think I said memes. <laughs> Memes, plural. Memes is is. Okay, Memes. Continue. Yeah, it's it's the microphone. I believe me. I'm all about talking about me, me, me's. But I, uh, yeah, we're focusing on the memes here. Yeah, I agree. I'm gonna take Sabalenka. I don't like that all of our picks are the same though. So we both agree Iga. That's not changing. We both agree Rabakina. That's not changing. Our friendship was based on a mutual agreement of how we see Sabalenka. Are you going Drews or Pagula? Because I'll go the other. No, I'm going to be honest with our listeners. I think it's Von Drews. I'm not going to lie to you all. And I think you, you could, do as well. I mean, if you want the Iga fans to burn your house down, you could, you could pick Svitolina. You could I do that. And, and I will pick Iga as someone who firmly believes in her chance of making the semifinals, unlike some people on this podcast. Yeah. Six months ago, DK. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyways, those are your women's matchups. I think they're more fun than the men's. That's why we're going to spend more time on them here on today's show. But I do think there's one men's matchup that I'm going to waive the five-minute rule, and this will be our last deep dive, and then we'll rapid fire. Sinners of fueling, everybody. Buckle up. Well, I'm glad you bring that up because (laughs) did you – there used to be a blogger named Second Serb who used to always, like, every three to five months put out a new update of top 21 and under players and the rankings list of them. And this was back in, like, 14, 15, 16. This is early Twitter days when Joe Kelly's still firing, when Lang, the Twitter account, who's obsessed with Ryan Williams, was, you know, all about it. And, you know, back then you thought Parsa was a 25-year-old. Little do you know. I don't even know if he's 25 yet now. Um, But... Shout out Parsa Bombs. Yeah, those are the <laughs> those are the OG Twitter days. Anyways, Roman Safilin was number one on that list for a really long time. And Romo, when he was 16, was so fing good. Like, I can't emphasize this enough. The guy never made unforced errors. And he dealt with a lot of injuries in his career. And guess what? He didn't hit a growth spurt the way some of his contemporaries ultimately did. I'm all I, we got a lot of respect for Romo here on this show. But no, that is not going to be the podcast we do. No, I will no. add, though, I'm very familiar with Roman Safulin because yeah. he is part of the same management team as, you guessed it, Anastasia Potapova. So <laughs> yeah. I am a little surprised that of the two of them, Roman Safulin made a Grand Slam quarterfinal before Nastia. But no, I'm very aware of him and was very, yeah. especially with all of the, he's gone through with injuries. And certainly Daniel Medvedev saw this coming. Started, he saw it coming at the beginning of the season and even said earlier in the week that you know, he's been one to watch for a very long time, very much part of that group of guys that includes Medvedev, Rublev, Kachanov. So we did get three Russians, uh, three Russian men, just maybe not the three that you were expecting maybe a month ago. You know, he was the leader in the clubhouse. By the way, Karatsev, since we're doing this now, Jewish. Um, since we brought it up earlier, just so you all know, um, gonna, you need like a sound effect now every time you mention Jewish player. Like a, 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 a quick, the horror, a quick yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. We're in the same, uh, we're in the same thought space. Anyways, I'm glad we did two minutes on Romo, by the way, because I, I needed. I knew you would be the guy for it, because I was like. I was like, David knows his Russians. Like, I, was like, I owe it to fun- my man, Alexander yeah, Ostrovsky, like, my man, my like, friend. I'm, I'm 100% sure DK has a take on him. And again, he's, he's had that back in since he was 12 years old. And he was better than Medvedev, better than Rublev. Uh, Rublev got really good because Roma's a little older than him. But Rublev ultimately was probably at a better junior. But he was better than Hatchinov, too, in the juniors. Like, Roma was the first guy of that cohort. 
That is not the deep dive we're going to do. <laughs> now it is. <laughs> yeah. There's your take. And I think Cinder's going to beat him 2-2-2. Two, two, and two. Um, But Alcaraz. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, not Kasparud, but Holgaruna. That's where we're going next. Because, obviously, we get the matchup we want. The matchup all of us were hoping for when the draws came out. Alcaraz, Runa, Next Gen 2.0. We did the opening rant on Runa that he has consolidated his spot in the top 10 so quickly that there are three players all born after the year 2000, so clearly amongst the 10 best already men's tennis players in the world. As a guy who founded this podcast on the premise of following the original next-gen crew, the Zverev, Tsitsipas, Medvedevs of the world, they were not this you know, Zverev was this good. The others were the slower burn. Like And to see all three of these guys be this good, this quickly, against their peers, it's incredible. And as you look at the draw again, how did we get here for Carlos Alcaraz, who it legitimately felt today that he just had a direct link to the mind of Matteo Berrettini and said, oh, you're going wide on this surf? Cool, I'll be ready for it. Oh, you think you're going to jam me body? No, I see it coming. I'm taking two quick steps as soon as that toss is in the air. God, was Carlitos excellent today in a four-set win over Berrettini. He's now won, what, nine straight matches on the grass court, dating back to Queens Club. Wins over Chardy, Moeller, Yari, and Berrettini to get to this round of uh, to this quarterfinal round. For Holger, I mean, again, the guy's just a tennis player. I don't care the surface. Straight set wins over Lofhagen, Carbeas Baena, Davidovich Fokina, 7-6 in the third, and then obviously today to follow it up, set down, he gets a 3-6-7-6-7-6-6-3 win over a very much in form Grigor Dimitrov. I'll just start here. Who in your mind is the better grass court tennis player and why? Right now. Right now. It's tough. It really is. I mean, I definitely thought there was a wider gap between Alcaraz and Runa coming into this uh, tournament. I wouldn't have picked, I don't think I picked Runa to make the quarterfinals of this, out of this draw. Uh, I think I had higher hopes for um, Francis Tiafo that didn't end up paying off. But um, I mean, Holger Runa really just very impressive. Now, you know, four straight, you know, three straight slams on all three surfaces makes the second week now makes the quarterfinals a better out of two of the three. And you could argue what would have been had there not been a net cord uh, against Andre Rublev in Australia. But I, I mean, I think the bad news is that this is a quarterfinal. The good news is that one of them will be in the semis of Alcaraz and Runa. You know, obviously they're both playing pretty well. You would have expected them perhaps to make a semi um, individually, but at least this guarantees it. And um, I think this is, you know, this is the matchup now that's going to be, you don't want to compare it to Federer and it's all. You don't want to compare there it to Federer. It or, or, but, you know, can it, I give you a comp? Because I'll give you a comp. It feels a little Djokovic Murray to me. Not in the sense of like, of like how. You know why that's perfect? Because every time Djokovic and Murray play, you get that picture of them when they were juniors. Yeah. That's really what I was, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. what I was touching on. Exactly. It is the, the nostalgia factor of the fact that these are kids who have known each other since they were babies. Because yeah. they're still kids. And every time they play, you're going to get that wave mm-hmm. of just like, Les you believe ass. it? Oh, yep. le- Lipite ah, Alex. <laughs> Lipite ass. <laughs> no, as they say in yeah. French. No, but I think that's what's the, the energy that you get from this match, knowing that they, they go way back. And the longer they play and the better they play, they're going to go even farther back. I mean, we're going to be seeing these pictures of them for the next, like, 15, 20 years. It's going to be really surreal when that happens. But um, 
both of them, you know, this, I think these are probably the best examples of someone of players who could have benefited from an extra Wimbledon and then didn't get it. And so are making up for lost time. And now it's only taken, I mean, this is Holger Runa's second Wimbledon. This is the first time he's ever won a main draw match of this tournament. It's already into the quarterfinals and it's in with a decent shot. Although I think Alcaraz, the way that he was able to finish against Berrettini, who is probably probably rounded out the top three contenders for this title, you know, you know, in various order of Djokovic, Alcaraz and Berrettini. I still give him the the up here in terms of who I think is a better shot, but I think we're all just looking forward to this permutation, especially after seeing another one of those marquee permutations between Alcaraz and Djokovic and it not kind of going according to plan with the injury and everything. I think we want to see one of these A-tier matchups and see it go really well. Je ne parle pas français, mais je comprends un peu. Um, so, you know, by the way, I, I, was, I was asking for an interview, uh, how to correctly pronounce someone's last name, Evan Jew. And I was like, it's Jew, right? And he goes, oh, how'd you know that? I go, well, what's your ETR, John Gwen? And like, he was like, really? He was like, and I was like, yeah, but not enough. Like, I was like, if you talk it to me, I can speak back to you a little bit in English, but I, my tones are very far off. And so you never know when knowing like 10 words to another language might, uh, might are you on that tape delay Mandarin where you can answer the first question while they're asking the second question? Exactly. Where it's like, I'll be I got like, you. Look. Or it's like, I like to practice in elevators when I eavesdrop and I'm like, it's like, I'm always listening. I'm like, please don't say something about me. Please don't say something about me. And then when I, once I'm firmly established, they're talking about something else. I'm like, all right, I don't have to listen anymore. That's a rather um, Seinfeldian of you. <laughs> you know, I am Jewish. Um, anyway. <laughs> yeah. play, play, play the sound. Play the sound. <laughs> Um, or whatever it is um anyways yeah you're gonna you're gonna get the matchup you're gonna get the photo and there's a physicality they both bring like Holger Runa and I said this before the tournament and I know astute analysis Alex he's just a tennis player like it's the same thing for Iga roll it out on hard courts roll it out on clay courts roll it out on grass courts you can play on crushed glass I don't care Holger Runa is gonna find a way to be competitive on the surface. He just, he can move. He can take the ball on the rise. He can chip and charge. He becomes more and more confident with his serve in every passing match. And truth be told, that's what's allowed him to consolidate his spot in the top 10. He's holding serve 84% of the time this year. It's just what we saw in the indoor hard courts last year, his ability to find that serve, that first forehand. He's had that skill all year long on top of the underlying physicality, on top of the underlying creativity. And yet, Carlos Alcaraz is just unlike anything I've ever seen. Like, I just still don't know how he does some of the things that he does. And I do think, I'm like, we need to limit Carlos Alcaraz to two grass court events a year. He's allowed to play one warm-up event, and he's allowed to play Wimbledon. Because every time he runs for an inside-out forehand, which he still runs for as if we're on clay, as if we're on hard courts, I'm like, dude, your ankle's going to snap. And like, I can brace that up now because I'm. It's like the same way some NBA fans, uh, NBA reference. You excited, DK? Um, it's the same way they watch Victor Wembanyama, who's seven foot five, obviously, and just this gangly thing. And you see him moving around. You're like, dude, you're gonna break yourself playing against these guys. I am afraid Alcaraz is almost too physical for this surface, and yet watching him return serve, I'm. Ne- you know, that's not true. The only guy I've seen return serve like Alcaraz on a grass court the way he did today was is Novak Djokovic or a peak anti Murray on this surface. And I think Holger's trending in that direction, but it's just 
The way Alcaraz gets a clean cut on the return of serve and the weight of his shot when he goes from neutral to taking control of the point, I believe Djokovic can beat him. I'm still not sure anyone else can, regardless of the surface. And so I'm going to take Alcaraz over Runa. I think this match goes four or five sets. I respect all the, you know, again, inside out forehand into the Runa. He might be one of three people in the world with the sort of backhand to handle the pace of Alcaraz. He is going to be able to impose himself some. I'll just take the serve plus one of Alcaraz over Runa's. I think it's a little further advanced. I think this match goes four or five. I think I'm leaning Carlos. What say you? Final word on this one. I'll just add to contrast this to the uh, Sabalenka Keys quarter on the women's draw. You saw in the fourth round experience triumph over inexperience and perhaps youth. This is a situation with Alcaraz against a Berrettini who's made the Wimbledon final against a Dimitrov who's made Wimbledon semifinal youth triumphed over experience. And so it really is a testament to just how talented and how little time it has taken for these young guys to adjust to what it takes to succeed on the surface. And I think that that portends to a lot of good things over the next decade because we were wondering what is the future of grass? What is the future of grass court tennis? And I think we're showing that it's it's alive and well. These guys can compete on the surface and it's not going to be you know a one-off in the season. We're seeing the top guys compete on it. So I think it's, uh, I would still give Alcaraz the edge because I just think he's just he's Carlos. that much better. Yeah. He's that much better. You know, even though they're the same age, effectively, you know, it just feels like Alcaraz is still a good six months to a year ahead of Holger. Um, but Holger is really pleased doing all he can to close that gap. I mean, he, I think he went from maybe a two year gap to maybe now we're one year and we'll see where we are by the end of the year in terms of uh, distance. Yeah, no, just so many, so many uh, successes for Holger. It's just like you do it one month at the end of the year. It's November. It's late October. The hardcore nerds like us care because we know what Ostrava and Linz did for Rina Sabalenka. But, you know, again, convincing people that that matters in the 30,000-foot view can be a little bit tougher. You make back-to-back quarterfinals. By the way, here's a list of five names of guys who have made quarterfinals at French Open, Wimbledon, same year prior to turning uh, – before age 21 or younger. Five guys have done it. You ready? It's a fun list. Five guys I think have done it since 2000. I got to make sure. Is it since 2000? I got to check. Shout out Opta Ace. I don't want to give you the wrong stat. I know I have the right five names. Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, Runa, Alcaraz. That's your list. Those are the guys who have made quarterfinals at Wimbledon, at Roland Garros, in the same season in the last 30 years. There it is. uh, Prior to turning 21. I think that's a good list. For all, you know, Federer, Nadal, Djokovic. Alcaraz Runa, that's a good list. I, I, we're just going to lock that in couple, there. A couple of clunkers on that list, but otherwise yeah, it's, Yeah, you know. <laughs> look, like, you wonder what might have happened had Rafa been healthy. Like, he could have had a decent career. Um, but, no, it's just, it's ridiculous. Yeah, that Federer, he only won 20. Like, loser. Boring. Um, yeah, yeah, like, oh, that's cute. Like, remember when 20 was a thing? Um, by the way, it's a joke. The, the person I feel the worst for is Pete Sampras, who's like, God, I used to be something. Now no one ever even includes me because everyone talks about Borg as like the what if, but no one includes Sampras. No, definitely. If you want to feel like weird about life, go back to those 2002, 2003 era like tennis matches where they say it's go- it's going to take a lifetime for someone to surpass Pete Sampras's record. It just it's un it's un unimaginable to see yeah. someone make 15 slams. What? That'd be crazy. Yeah. And then like yeah. within six years, it was split. Yeah. <laughs> Bye-bye. Um, no, I agree. I think this is the match to watch. I think this is one of the defining rivalries of the decade. And the more we get to see Alcaraz, I mean, Alcaraz Runa, Alcaraz Sinner, 
Cineruna. I want all those permutations as frequently as possible. That said, I have to run here in the next five minutes, so we truly are rapid-firing through. And we'll get to biggest missed opportunity. We'll talk curfews. We'll talk handshakes. We'll talk all those extracurricular things. Can I lock you into our post-Wimbledon recap podcast, DK? I can lock you in What now. else am I doing? Yeah. <laughs> I'll, send I'll you be t- here. <laughs> yeah, we'll have the Andreeva debate then. So we'll rapid-fire through these final three matchups. And I apologize, men's tennis fans. But guess what? We're also... If it's Elkaraz, Medvedev, Djokovic, Sinner, spoiler alert, that's going to have its own podcast. So we'll have plenty of time to get into all of these guys. But let's start with one of the biggest stories ever. You know, again, it's been a race to share your praise for him, deservedly so, because I said this in one of the group chats DK and I are in. I don't think there's a player with a higher, higher approval rating right now in all of tennis than Chris Eubanks. And to be outside the top 100 and to make a Miami quarterfinal, to win his first title in Mallorca, to now make his first slam quarterfinal, consolidate a spot in the top 50, ensure that he will be a part of our tennis lives for the future. He's going to be a commentator. He's going to have all these opportunities because he is charismatic. He is funny. He is intelligent. He is everything you want from a tennis personality. And to see him experience the success as well, I mean, a former Georgia Tech All-American, you know, you've seen the you've seen the quotes, toothpick because he's so skinny. I don't want to talk about this giraffe from Sloan Stevens. Everyone loves Chris Eubanks. The results are there as well. He got any shot against Daniil Medvedev? What say you? Yeah, I mean, it's funny that for opposite reasons, it's like maybe one of the most likable quarters, sort of like the way that, um, but very different journeys to get there. Everyone's always liked Chris Eubanks, and I think people have really come around on Daniel Medvedev, and I think even he's enjoyed the turn that people have taken on him, realizing he's not such a bad guy after all. But, um, I mean, this is a very real run from Eubanks to beat both Cameron Nori and Stefano Tsitsipas from two sets to one down, you know, outgutted him in the fifth, lost the break of the fifth, comes back, breaks him again, you know, closes it out on serve, just phenomenal stuff from him, proves that the Miami run isn't a one-off, you know, talked about... Um, just how emotionally taxing it was for him to just make the top hundred. And now that he's done that, he feels like the sky's the limit. I mean, this is, and this isn't even the end of his goals. This is someone who still wants to do well at the U S open wants to be top 20 and playing like this. It's all possible. That said, maybe I just played some really phenomenal tennis this week and making it through, you know, the likes of a Reno and a Martin Vukovic, who are both pretty dangerous on grass, you know, got the, the bit of a, Got the physical reprieve, you know, with Yuri Lehechka pulling out after two sets. So you think he'll be fresher coming into the quarterfinals and a big opportunity for Daniel to really stake his claim at a major after underperforming so uh, disappointingly in Australia and Paris. This is his moment, you know, coming around to grass after coming around on clay. And so I, I do think Daniel gets it. But I think, again, this talk about like uh, on Shavor being a star, Chris Eubanks is another one that tennis is very lucky to have. Yeah. Yeah, I love Chris. I mean, again, I once was at a hotel and he's rocking piano solos. Like the man is just talented. He can yeah, do. If all you don't like him, you're just being contrarian for the sake of it. Yeah, a hundred percent. Now, <laughs> I don't like the race to be like, no, I like him more. No, I like him more. Like you don't have to one up everyone with your post of how much you like Chris Eubanks. 
because but also we all how love long him. you've liked him because now yeah, it's it's a matter of exactly. how long you've gone that's how long what you I go meant. back that's mm-hmm. exactly what i meant you don't need to say i remember when i watched him in 2014 have liked him ever since you can just See, say but I feel I like I you him. kind of follow those you would follow the kinds of people who remember chris eubanks before 2023 i yeah, do not okay. so i have not been dealing with that colette lewis is allowed to say whatever she wants she's oh, the goat. I mean, like that's that's an the exemption re- the receiver yeah. of memory yeah of that's what I'm, that's what i'm saying that's our historian that's our David McCullough, that's our, you know, again, I can go through the great historians. Um, right, but that's someone who I follow. I imagine you follow some interesting people from the challenger crowd who probably remember him when he was, you know, only six foot nine and now he's six foot ten, you know, all that, whatever. So, yeah, no, I, the real I bless is, your timeline. No, the real question is, were you at the Kalamazoo? And if you know, you know. We can leave that there. You taking Eubanks or you taking Medvedev? I'll take Medvedev. Yeah, he's been good enough. Like, again, and this is the best sort of matchup for him. Simple, make the return, dip the ball low, hold freaking serve. Like, I, I just think Eubanks will have time if Medvedev gets tentative, but this is what Medvedev was meant for. Again, we're rapid-firing through these last two because, sadly, I have to go. Um, yeah, it's, I know, a rare moment here where I'm like, let's not podcast longer. Djokovic, Rublev, prediction, thoughts? Uh, I mean, look, this was a pretty huge win for Rublev to beat Alexander Bublik, a match I fully expected him to walk away with on grass against Rublev at a slam. It just felt like teed up for a big Alexander Bublik moment that obviously, you know, that that energy has been taken up by uh, by Chris Eubanks and more power to him. But I mean, maybe we're seeing the start of Andre Rublev. You know, this is the payoff of him winning that first Masters, getting that big emotional win at a slam. You know, bad news for him. He's got to play Djokovic next. And Djokovic just looked pretty unbeatable, you know, especially in these tight, tight sets. The one thing you can maybe say is he's had to play a lot of tight sets. We've been talking about the tiebreak record. He's had to play a lot of tiebreakers. And maybe there's a a degree of emotional taxing. I mean, we saw the 2021 U.S. Open. He played a lot of longer matches than he needed to and then had nothing left by the final. That shouldn't be a problem in the last state. He's still, you know, probably got a lot of gas left in the tank against someone like Rublev, who maybe doesn't necessarily believe he could beat someone like Djokovic at a slam, much less on grass. And so it kind of feels like this half, uh, certainly this quarter is Djokovic's to lose at this point. Yeah, I I agree. I, I just, he's been better than everyone else. And even Hubie serving lights out couldn't get the job done. Rublev's been great. He has consolidated a spot in the top 10. He has, again, you thought, have we reached his peak? Is this just kind of who he is? And Tell you what, if who he is is quarterfinal after quarterfinal at these big events with a Masters 1000 mixed in as well, it's a damn good career for Andre Rublev. I still don't have him as a tier one guy, and thus I don't have him beating Novak. But man, that was fun. <laughs> and look, we did our center Safilin takes already. You want to give me two seconds on Yannick since I know we didn't really talk on him. I know we both expect him to advance. No, I definitely thought that I didn't. I had picked Denis Shapovalov to make the quarters, uh, or rather the semis of that of this section, because I didn't know how healthy Yannick Sinner was. Showed up healthy, playing some good tennis, has Darren Cahill in the box, and you just feel like, you know, with that kind of energy behind him, it's going to eventually pay off. He had the Karota boys earlier in the tournament, which we should devote a whole podcast episode to them, and the fact that they've been able to uh, really capitalize on their um, their virality, but... Um, Based on the way Sinner's playing, you would think he's a lock to make the semi. And then you really, I'm really very interested then to see how Sinner performs against Djokovic, especially after last year when he led Djokovic by two sets. Does he make that mistake again? Does he learn? Does he beat him? Or does, you know, Novak continue to have his way with this half of the draw? I still think given just everything with Novak, this is his half to lose. But 
it's it's potentially intriguing to see, you know, Novak against the the trio of young guys being Alcaraz, Runa, and Sinner. I mean, we talked about this trio two and a half years ago, and now here they are, you know, contending potentially for Wimbledon semifinals and finals. So things are all going according to plan. And if you're working for the ATP, you can't help but be, I'm sure, giddy by the way that this draw shook out. Absolutely. And again, I didn't feel confident saying I'm going to go Alcaraz, Medvedev, Djokovic, Sinner as my semifinals, as my pre-tournament predictions. I'm glad I did. Because when in doubt, in a, in a year of uncertainty, go with what you know. And those have been the guys we've known all year long. And so with all that, that's where things stand after your quarterfinal round. Now, of course, we will be back each and every day here this week to recap whatever unfolds Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, through the ending of this year's third major. But, of course, if we miss any details, I'm sure they're picking them up over with at tennis.com. Excuse me. And before I let you go, DK, any final thoughts, any things you need to plug uh, going on over at tennis? baseline? I mean, I'll say, I don't know if you've noticed, but I have been on the Arena Sabalenka beat mm-hmm. over the course of Wimbledon. My coworker and colleague and partner in crime, Steph Livaday, has been on the Carlos Alcaraz beat. We're trying a little bit of a new thing where we cover, we focus on a player and we cover them through the course of the tournament. I thought we, ha- we would have doomed both of them when we took on this assignment. They're both still in the tournament. Thank God. <laughs> we would have had to come up with a plan B at this point. But um, just a lot, of, a lot of interesting, intriguing stories. I think it's maybe just the combination of the fact that there's a lot more press conferences at Wimbledon that are being transcribed than there are at other slams. That it's just a lot making room for these sort of intriguing stories to pop up. I mean, a lot of interesting stuff on Tennis.com and on Baseline. Yeah, and so again, everyone, go read it. You can follow him at DKTWNS on Twitter. A shout out to you, DK, for joining us. A shout out, as always, to our super producer Daniel Westoff as well, who has what sort of a job to do? Oh, he does a editing job day in day out. <laughs> yes, he does. Best in the business. Always appreciate his efforts. Appreciate the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point as well. Tennis-Point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, for the fantastic. David Kane, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. DK, what do we tell our listeners? And that's the break. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thank you as always, DK. Bas vidania.